Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode is dedicated to Gary Graham, who we recently lost this month. He played Vulcan Ambassador Sobol on Star Trek Enterprise, as well as many other various roles throughout Star Trek, including Voyager as well as the Alien Nation TV series. Thank you, Gary, for all that you've done for the Trek world and beyond. Space, the final frontier. Join us for a bold conversation. Our prime directive, to recap our favorite Star Trek shows, both new and old to engage in debate about all things Trek. Prepare to energize with phasers set to stun. Hello everyone and welcome back to Phasers Set to Stun, where we continue to show our love for everything Star Trek in this ongoing series from a film by a podcast, which focuses on every quadrant of the expanding universe of Trek by covering television, animation, movies, directors, and more. Plotting the course, as always, is your core Trek crew. I'm David Burns. I'm Scott Hoffman. And I'm Wayne Whited. In this episode, we continue our discussion on what we like to call Starter Trek, a curated episode list for first-time viewers. This spoiler-free list focuses on the top ten episodes from each season for people like our producer Jeff as a great place to start. With Starter Treks, we simplify the menu with choice cuts of Prime Trek that gives people a taste of each season. After listening to this episode, you can find the course we're plotting for you with our list in the description below. But before we begin, let's listen to what our producer Jeff has to say about some of the episodes we chose from Season 1. Guys, ever since you've known me, you knew I was a casual Star Trek fan. I was fond of the original series, and I liked the movies. But that's pretty much where my Star Trek fandom ended. Last year, however, you showed me that the world of Star Trek continues to be incredible with shows like Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks, and I simply wanted more. I never thought I'd have enough time to invest in it, but with your curated list, these uh, Starter Treks as you call them, I feel like I'm going to warp through all seven seasons of The Next Generation in no time. I love these characters, I absolutely love this cast, and I'm excited to see where their adventure takes them. You guys are doing a fantastic job. Please keep plotting the course, because I, for one, plan to stay engaged. Thanks for that, Jeff. And for you listeners, if you would like to comment or add what you think are the top 10, please do so, So, because we would love to hear from you. Scott, what are we discussing today? 
we're diving into season two uh and we're going to notice that the seasons are getting more and more difficult to find out what are those favorites what are the the top 10 that somebody who's coming in fresh or somebody who's coming back to it really needs to watch so it's an interesting kind of um factor that we're taking into account with this top 10. yeah things things are beginning to change for the better i might add it's Mm -hmm. getting harder to choose those top 10 and the biggest one for me Riker has his beard yeah <laughs> finally yeah there there were a lot of uh, changes a lot a lot of um, alterations to the show uh for this season you know some of the mistakes from season 1 they they corrected others uh maybe not so much not quite yet yep almost there almost there yeah they're almost there well this this season was hugely affected by the writer's strike of 1988. We talked a little bit about that last season. It Mm -hmm. ran from March to uh, August of that year, and it's really blamed in the drop of quality for this season, which I I don't agree. I think the quality actually went up in the writing. Um, But it delayed the start of the season by about two months, and Mm -hmm. it resulted in a shorter season. They lost four episodes, uh, dropping the uh, run amount down down to 22 episodes. and there were a lot of behind-the-scenes problems there, too, going on. Uh, Gene Roddenberry was still in hands-on control of the series, and he promoted um, one of his writers, Maurice Hurley, uh, who wrote uh, Heart of Glory and, and Hide and Q, to the showrunner, which was, if in hindsight, probably a mistake because he alienated a lot of the writers mm-hmm. um, that were working this season, and many of them quit, like uh, Tracy Torme, who um, was a huge... Uh, pull for the series and because of all the rewrites that uh, Hurley did he he walked out um, and he also talked Roddenberry into firing Gates McFadden which <laughs> I think we'll all agree was a big mistake huge yes huge. big mistake yeah um, he just he had a lot of there were a lot of behind the scenes uh, animosity between the two um, and he created the character of Dr. Pulaski of course to replace him Plus, there, there were other arguments. Roddenberry and, and another writer that he brought in from the original series, David Gerald, were, were also fighting behind the scenes, too. Gerald had written a script for the season called uh, Blood and Fire. It was a big one. It was going to be a really big story for the season that Paramount wanted, specifically asked for this. It was uh, commissioned um, to be written to by him, but uh, because Roddenberry, uh, there, were, there were a lot of things going on. And Roddenberry's lawyer didn't like the script, so he convinced Roddenberry to drop the script, and, and uh, so uh, Gerald left. Uh, um, it wasn't until the end of the season when, when Hurley and Roddenberry left that uh, things started to uh, smooth out, and a lot of the mistakes that were made were corrected. Yeah, you can see that too with season three coming up, which obviously yeah. we're going to talk later. Um, but yeah, you definitely can see those things are starting to get smoothed over. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, we've got, we're going to go ahead and get diving in to these uh, episodes. Uh, We are going to be talking about them in order as they were aired on television. So to get us started, we are going to be talking about our first pick. Wayne, what is it? Well, the first pick is the season premiere, and that is The Child, which the original script was written by Jaron Summers and John Pobble, and this script was rewritten for The Next Generation by Maurice Hurley, directed by Rob Bowman. The Enterprise is preparing to transport plague specimens with the hope of devising a cure to an epidemic on Richelis. Deanna Troy discovers that she is inexplicably pregnant, and when she gives birth to what appears to be a normal Betazed boy just a few days later, Picard and the others deal with specimens growing out of control and believe that the two strange occurrences have to be connected. Now, 
this is an odd script. Uh, there's a lot of backstory for this one, but I'm going to kind of uh, summarize it really quick. Because of the strike, you know, there there was a real quick rush to get scripts, and there wasn't enough time to write all these scripts in such a short time. So this script was actually pulled from uh, Paramount Vaults because it was originally written back in 1977 for a series that was planned called Star Trek Phase Two. This was going to be a new series featuring the original crew on their second five-year mission. Uh, all the original cast was coming back except for Leonard Nimoy, and they had new characters coming in, uh, such as the character Idalia and new first officer Decker. Um, the two events led to the cancellation of that series. Uh, Paramount's uh, was planning a new network, and they just decided uh, not to do it. And then also Star Wars, uh, which was a big thing, which made Paramount realize they didn't want a new TV series. They wanted a, a movie. But uh, a lot of people don't realize how close this series got to being made. It was, all the scripts were written. Uh, costumes were made. Casting was done. Directors were set. Uh, sets were built. Many of those sets were actually reused for The Next Generation. We see a lot of them from state or from Phage 2 being used. And The Child was going to be the fifth episode of that series. Um, and it took very little rewrite. The uh, original script had Ilea having the child and the problems coming from that. Uh, Maurice Hurley went rewrote it uh, so that it's Troy. And other than that, it's it's basically the same. Uh, this episode also introduced uh, Guinan, Catherine Pulaski. Uh, it's got a beautiful visual effects opening. I, I love that opening with an incredible score by Dennis McCarthy. And it introduced a new set, uh, Ten Ford. Uh, the uh, production was allowed to have one large permanent set new to, to the studio um, each year, and this was the one that was built. Yeah, it's a, quite a way to start a season, wouldn't you agree? Um, getting one of the main characters pregnant right away and just like, yeah. uh, okay, what's going on with this? Where are we going? And then I would absolutely love the reaction uh, the reaction that uh, Riker gave when they were in the meeting room when he found mm-hmm. out for the first time that she was pregnant. I thought that yeah. Was <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some weirdness here. And I mean, you know, it's it's one that when you, when you look around, it's on a lot of... Uh, top 10 worst episodes mm-hmm. um and you know when we're when we're going through this list i mean in my opinion you know there's some some problematic things here as far as you know the nature of how she um winds up with this child and uh the the trauma of having to kind of put her through that mm-hmm. um but the reasons i think it's important it, it it finally gives troy a spotlight episode yeah and it does um, knowing what happens with her character way off into the future into more recently released series. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of an interesting lens to look at, you know, yeah. one of her first experiences with uh, family and yeah. uh, with motherhood. Um, yeah. I think it's also just useful to see this episode because of the introduction of Guinan, who is one of my favorite characters in Star Trek. Um, and uh, Dr. Pulaski, who is not one of my favorite characters in Star Trek, um, close. but it can be kind of jarring to say the least to jump right in and, and not know, you know, the context of like, who are these people? And, and, you know, when did they, when did they come in? 
yeah. especially with Dr. Pulaski. Yeah, and I think a lot of that's got to do with, with the problems that were said behind the scenes. Uh, I actually, I like this episode. Um, I, I agree it's probably not the best way to open the season, but it's still a good episode. And you mentioned yeah. it. Uh, you know, they've corrected one of the very first mistakes that I felt was the problem during the first season. And that's starting to spotlight each one of the characters, give them an episode uh, to to shine and Troy hardly had anything to do during the first season and it was nice yeah. to see an episode with her being the the star of the story. Yeah, yeah. this is uh, I know Marina Sirtis does not like this episode. She yeah. says this is her least favorite episode of the entire series. But there's a lot of stuff going on in this one that that's why we have to pick this one because mm-hmm. you're right if this was not in the top ten and we were telling people you know don't don't watch this one they're gonna be lost. Yeah. yeah, you know, For because sure. there's, there's just too much going on. You've got to watch this episode. I mean, Jordy LaForge is promoted. We learned that in this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. Um, this is the first time that we see Worf with his Baldrick. You know, mm-hmm. so yep. there's a lot of stuff going on in this episode that. You know, for a first-time watcher, they need to see this stuff being introduced for sure. And you're right; that that also brings up a few other things. There are some other changes too. You know, Worf is now head of security. Yep. Uh, with his yellow uniform, we have Jordy. He's now been moved to uh, chief engineer. Uh, he's got his yellow uniform now. You know, there's there's a lot of changes, and it would be really it would be very jarring if uh, you just yeah. suddenly walk and everybody's wearing different uniforms and and have different positions. Uh, yeah. This this is a good episode to start with. Yeah, absolutely. And getting reactions to all these introductions and changes, right? reactions from the crew and how they're kind of responding to it yeah yeah absolutely no doubt all right well uh let's go on to our second pick scott yeah this one's a little bit more fun with elementary deer data um data and jordy share a holodeck adventure as sherlock holmes and dr watson only to find that the mysteries aren't enough of a challenge but when the holodeck creates a program to match their wits they get much more than they bargained for I can't say too much more. No. Um, but there is an introduction of a character that just has a fascinating background mm-hmm. uh, that has to do with the holodeck. Um, we we didn't quite talk about uh, the big goodbye in right. the last top ten. Right. Um, this, one, this one is a great way to feature the holodeck, not only in terms of how people use it, but the capabilities of that holodeck and kind of the implications of that. Um, specifically things like the the safety protocols right. uh, that they have to put in place. So what if you're on a holodeck and somebody shoots you? Mm-hmm. Um, things like that. I thought it was a, a fascinating dive into uh, Data and Jordy. Uh, it's a great look at their friendship, I think, yeah. uh, and their relationship. You know, how Jordy is helping him in his progression, but uh, how Data is is genuinely, a, a, you know, one of Jordy's best friends. That has a lot of implications in the future. Yeah, in watching this series, this is like one of many holiday episodes that you're going to see um, over the series. But, you know, you hit on a key point that I definitely wanted to make sure, you know, everybody was aware of them to talk about, and that's Jordy and Data's uh, friendship. Mm. Um, we've already started seeing that blossom some, you know, in season one, but this one really focuses on that. And you can see that uh, how much they are connecting to one another. And again, Brent Spiner is just brilliant in his role. Yes, he is. And, and, and a funny fact about this, uh, the producers actually got in trouble for this episode. Uh, they didn't realize that uh, 
Sherlock Holmes and Arthur Conan Doyle was uh, trademarked. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Paramount kind of had to scold them and said, don't do it again. So this is why we don't see uh, them go back to the Sherlock Holmes world for a while. They do eventually. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that eventually. But that's the reason why we don't see it, because it could have been a, a yearly thing. But no, yeah. no not, not until some uh, behind the scenes uh, legal problems were smoothed over. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's a big oops. Yeah. And, and um, along those lines, there's actually a, an interesting parallel that I found between um, why Sir Arthur Conan Doyle did made a certain choice with the Sherlock Holmes series that has kind of a parallel to this episode, but mm. I can't talk about that without spoiling it. So no, no spoilers. Not. No yeah. spoilers. Um, one of the one of the scenes that I really loved of this, and it's not giving away anything, is when Data they went into the holodeck for them, you know, to relax and you know just solve a mystery and. Data just quickly solved it with no no problems, and Jordy basically just threw his hands up. I'm done, you know, in program yeah, yeah. and get ready to walk out. And Data's like, "What's what's wrong?" You know, and then Jordy had to explain to him, "Look, you know, we're here to relax, enjoy this, you know, actually solve the mystery. You're not doing that, you know." Yeah. And of course, this is eventually what leads them to get into trouble with the hollow deck. But hey, I I really like that. That was a cool scene. Yes, it is. There is also kind of a. a a minor detail you're going to see with kind of the the juxtaposition of Jordy and Data's friendship and Dr. Pulaski and Data's relationship mm-hmm. and you know how Jordy regards him as you know a life form a sentient life form a friend and a, a person like anybody else but Dr. Pulaski has a very kind of almost a one-dimensional kind of view yep. of Data which is very frustrating and I yeah. know that's the way the character was written but wow data so, Oh, all oh, that oh, mispronunciation just... Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I'm sure there had to be a take where Brent was like, it's Data. It's Data. Get it right. <laughs> yeah, that just irked me. When I when I uh-huh. heard it again, I'm like, oh, Pulaski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Well, let's move on. So our third pick is the Schizoid Man. To know him is to love him is to know him. <laughs> Dr. Ira Graves is a brilliant scientist living with his assistant working on research very important to the Federation. Picard and the Enterprise are sent to Dr. Graves at the request of an urgent matter. However, before they can arrive, another urgent matter occurs, forcing Picard to make a decision to send a landing party to meet with Dr. Graves' needs while the rest of the crew go to help a ship desperately in need of help. It is discovered that Dr. Graves is dying, but before he expires, manages to put his consciousness into data, which causes disturbing consequences this episode here guys continues to prove brent spiner's brilliance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah range flexes his acting muscles in this episode beyond more than we have seen and we have seen quite a bit of him uh doing this but this episode wow does it really shine but another character actor i would like to point out is william morgan shepherd uh, who we get a little bit of him in this episode as Dr. Graves uh, before he expires. But many of them are going to know a couple years later he'll be in Star Trek Undiscovered Country as a different yep. character. Yep. And of course, Wayne, we would know mm-hmm. him from Gettysburg. Um, you know, he was in that as well. Yes. And not to mention numerous other uh, shows, movies, and stuff that uh, Mr. Shepard was in, including Doctor Who. And there you go, including Doctor Who. And the new Star Trek movie, The Chris yes. Pine. Yes, yes. Yeah. that's right. Just the little amount of time that Shepard is on this episode just was brilliant and set forth what we're going to see in Data. 
it was just a, a great performance on his part. And, and Brent Spiner just picked it up right where he left off and truly shined in this episode. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You can see how he does a great job of emulating Shepard's performance. Yep. Right. And following that lead. And it's, we're going to get a lot more of that range from Brent Spiner uh, mm-hmm. in this series. And we're, we're the better for it. It's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I know. And one of the things I found interesting too, was when they were running that test on data, you know, we get to see images of Tasha Yar, which we're going to get to see that again later in another episode we're going to talk about. But uh, Dexter Remick and Project Genesis are displayed during that test, if you guys didn't pick that up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, I thought that was really neat. Um, there's a scene in here where Troy and Jordy go, are invited to Data's uh, room. If you guys know what scene I'm talking about towards the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go to his quarters. And when they enter, they uh, see what is on his face. Well, apparently, Marina Sirtis was laughing so hard at the end of the scene that she had to leave. So when she leaves in that scene, that was really Marina Sirtis having to leave because she was laughing so hard that oh, she wow. couldn't control it. So the good thing is Brent Spiner and LeVar Burton just kept it rolling. They never broke character, allowing the scene that we see to make it into the episode. I thought that's incredible. Yeah. That's fantastic. It's a great wow. scene. I want to watch that again. <laughs> just, just knowing that makes you appreciate that much more, and the professionalism of those actors that they were able to just keep rolling and not break. You know, yeah. it just it shows their talent for sure. Yeah. Well, and just that, it's that infusion of comedy that's not meant to be like, "Hey, the jokes are coming." You know, right. like mm-hmm. Star Trek does a great job of that, specifically with Next Generation, and mm-hmm. you know. Um, knowing that they were able to to get through that and then keep that footage is is great. That's <laughs> a great behind the scenes. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. um, we, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say we also get uh, Susie Plaxon, mm-hmm. uh, one yeah. of my favorite character actors in this series. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Uh, in this role, she's uh, Lieutenant Sealar, uh, yep. a Vulcan doctor. Um, comes back in in this series and several other series, and I think just does a great job all over. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting, because it's it's a great character. I'm surprised they never brought this character back. Uh, they did it in a lot of, like, uh, uh, books and comics and stuff, but in the series, this is the only time we ever see her, and it would have been interesting for her to uh, be around the sick bay, maybe uh, an, another character with uh, Dr. Crusher. Yeah. It's a shame they didn't continue that way. Yeah. I completely agree with you on that. Um, another thing I thought that was kind of creepy in this episode was um, the tune that Graves always whistled, If I Only Had a Brain. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And yeah, how yeah, that's used uh, when Data whistles it, basically mm-hmm. signaling what had happened. I, I love that. I thought that, ooh, man, that's kind of creepy, but yet mm-hmm. really cool at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of uh, Denzel Washington's Fallen, uh, with yeah. Time is on Our Side. You know, yeah. just a, a great way to just add a little bit more creepiness in there. Yeah, yeah absolutely it was. Well, good deal. Well, um, before we continue on, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the next episode. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Well, welcome back. Let's talk about our fourth episode, Wayne. And that will be A Matter of Honor, which is written by Wanda Height, Gregory Amos, and Burton Armis, directed by Rob Bowman again. And this, we finally get uh, the Klingons again on uh, the next generation. An officer exchange program allows Commander Riker the chance to serve on a Klingon ship under the command of Captain Cargan. When the Klingon crew find a microorganism eating away at their hull, Cargan believes it to be a new Federation weapon and put Riker on the wrong side of a potential Klingon Starfleet con- conflict. Now this, this is a a much loved episode. I think pretty much all, everybody will say this is one of the better episodes of season two. Yeah, um, it, it is. It's a good episode, and this uh, this is the second time we really see the Klingons uh, spotlighted on on the series. We had one last season, and now we have this one. Uh, but this is the first time that we see the Klingon bird of prey, um, the model actually being used on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, it, it was used in last in Star Trek Five. Um, Ad, but now we get to see it on the show and we'll see it a lot more but here I, I want to point out one guest star here that made everybody not, not know who this is uh, Captain Cargan uh, he was played by actor uh, Christopher Collins uh, that's actually a different name he normally goes by the name Chris Lotta uh, he was the voice of Starscream and uh, Cobra Commander on uh, Transformers and G.I. Joe uh, very different role seeing him uh, not only live action but uh under heavy makeup um and and there's another uh guest star too brian thompson he played the first uh, officer uh clag he was the one that introduced Riker to gach um yeah <laughs> gach. Yep. He, yeah he goes on he appears on star trek quite a few more times uh he was on twice on deep space nine uh, uh three episodes of enterprise and then he played klingon again uh on uh, star trek generations mm-hmm. yep he also in 1986's cobra Yes, he was. That's right. Yeah. Um, the, the scene when Riker's got all the, the food there at 10 Forward, eating yeah. it. Oh, my gosh. That was just disgusting. Yeah. And he was just enjoying himself. <laughs> Here we go. Although this, credit to food services for that. Like, absolutely. To be able to make that, I'm sure there's more than one take. Like, not <laughs> oh, easy. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> so, so many good scenes in this with Jonathan Frakes as Commander Riker, um, just proving what a badass Commander Riker is mm-hmm. and why we love him so much as a character. But the fact that he took on that role was very happy, uh, you know, when he with the scene between him and Picard when they're doing the uh, fa- at the phaser range, uh, which is the first time we've ever seen that, by the way. Yeah. Um, it was neat when Picard was telling him what was going on and that the, they were doing an exchange. And Picard obviously was leaning towards, you know, trying to talk Riker into taking it. But Riker knew what was going on. That's why he had that big smile on his face. Mm-hmm. You know, just like, yeah, yeah. And who, who do you have in mind? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But no, when he went over to the to the ship and just you know proved himself to the Klingons that he deserved to be there, man, just what a Jonathan Frakes is just awesome. He is, yeah, he yeah. is. And you mentioned the the phaser range. It's actually one of my favorite sets, even mm-hmm. though it's there's not much set to it, right? Right. The mm-hmm. giant circle with a bunch of 
darkness all around. This yeah. little blinking lights you have to shoot at the right time. Um, there's a uh, there's an episode where they use that again with uh, Worf and Guinan, and they have a great conversation yep. in that. Mm-hmm. Later, later, later. But yep, it's a great set. Yep. Um, what I find interesting too is um, Instant Minden. You know who I'm talking about? Who shows up when uh, Wesley mistakes him? Yes. Um, that's the same actor. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And that's an uncomfortable oh, exchange, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a very interesting yeah. exchange, which is kind of funny that they did that. The same actor from the first, uh, back in the first season? Correct. That pl- oh, okay. Yeah. Played by uh, John Putch, I believe. I don't know if it's pronouncing his last name correctly, but uh, yeah, same actor. Yeah. And there's, a, there's a great effect to the, that costume. Yeah. Right? Where every breath has like a little bit of dry ice or some kind of smoke coming off it. I love yeah. that. It's a good concept, a good good uh, alien. Uh, we don't see too much of it, but um, I, I like that. I like the idea that they have to accommodate for different atmospheres. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well, let's go on with our fifth pick uh, for season two. Scott? Yeah, so that takes us to The Measure of a Man, which I've, I'm lucky to have two data-centric ones to focus on. Uh, <laughs> and this one is a standout. I've heard... Oh, um, yes. Brent Spiner was on... Um, uh, a podcast recently that was talking about you know one of his standout episodes and this is absolutely one of them. So Dr. Maddox of Starfleet's Daystrom Institute is one of the leading minds in cybernetics and he spent his career trying to replicate data. But the next step Maddox needs to take would end data's life. We see one of the outstanding Trek legal dramas that asks if data is just Starfleet property or a sentient life form to protect. Mm-hmm. Um this is another one where it's hard to dive into too much detail without getting into spoiler territory, but the uh, the prosecution and the defense that's chosen uh, mm-hmm. to represent data one way or the other uh, is very interesting. Uh, it mm-hmm. absolutely calls back to some elements we saw in data lore mm-hmm. as far as how data functions and, and things like that. But um, one of the, one of my one of the standout moments in this episode for me is the conversation between um, I believe it's Guinan and Picard. Correct. Uh, yeah. That talks about the implications of doing so. And mm-hmm. we're going to see that come back in uh, Picard season one. Mm-hmm. That makes me kind of look at season one with kind of a different lens. Yeah. Um, but it, it introduces another uh, great relationship actually between Data and Maddox, mm-hmm. which at first you see Maddox is this, you know, oh, well, clearly this is the bad guy, so to speak. Um, but there's there's a twist in their relationship and a continuing evolution mm-hmm. we'll see through the series that I think absolutely bears um, mentioning uh, Dr. Maddox and his implications, but also just the, the acting, the structure, the, uh, the legal debate of this uh, is amazing. Oh, it, it is. I mean, this is a courtroom drama. And it is a really good one. Yeah. Um, you, you get to see, I mean, you, you feel for Data uh, throughout this episode, as you should, because, uh, you know, is he a sentient being? We don't know. But he needs to be treated like one, right? Maybe. You know, it's, it's that, you know that, that discussion that they have. But one of the scenes in this that I have to, by the way, the scene between Guy and Picard was not originally in the script. Uh, Paramount had to have them uh, add something because apparently she was going to be there and committed to that week, so uh, they added that scene for that. I'm and it glad turned they out, did. Oh yeah, me yes. too. It's a great yes. scene. Yeah. Great scene. Yes. But um, the one scene that I love it, and I don't think it's going to give away too much, but just how broken Commander Riker was, how torn he was, and what he had to do in this episode. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Um, when he the, his line when he says Pinocchio is broken, its strings have been cut, and you know what happened right before he said that line, yeah. Yeah. was just so powerful. As soon as he said that, then went and sat down. I was like, damn, you just chills, man, when that happened. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that had to hit Jonathan Frakes and everybody on set pretty mm-hmm. hard. It's um, so powerful, yeah, yeah. So much, so much goodness. So many great performances in this. Even Patrick Stewart incredible performance mm-hmm. uh you know with him you know uh defending you know it's just my goodness it just watching this episode again for the first time in a long time i forgot how powerful it was mm-hmm. and you know when you get to that i mean some of the things that you wouldn't think would be going through data's uh you know processors and, and stuff like that well let's say what it is brain but it's just man just a lot of stuff d- uh, dived into this episode that you just really makes you think yeah, it's a big evolution in data overall. So mm-hmm. the character itself, how people yep. regard data, which is an interesting parallel to uh, Pulaski's character and a lot of their interactions. Yep. Um, but also uh, Brent Spiner's performance as data. Mm-hmm. You can definitely see an evolution here because yep. this is a, a life or death situation mm-hmm. and his application of stoicism and curiosity in this character, I think is one yeah. of the defining characteristics of Data. We're mm-hmm. going to see that come back in um, another episode, The Most Toys, mm-hmm. um, where you know life and death situation and how that's faced uh, and processed mm-hmm. uh, is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, yeah. This is this is probably uh, definitely my favorite episode of the season. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's. It's great because uh, Brent Spiner's performance is just phenomenal. Jonathan Frakes' performance, uh, Whoopi Goldberg's. Uh, we finally see how useful her character can be with this series. Um, plus, uh, for anyone who once likes this episode, uh, there is this is one of the very few episodes of the series where there's an extended version of it. Um, the Blu-rays have a, a much longer version of this episode. It's almost uh, almost 15 minutes longer. Um, and it's definitely worth wa- watching or, or trying to find because um, it adds a lot of great scenes that we didn't even see in the original airing. Hmm. And this is the first episode to feature a poker game, which we oh, know oh, yeah. <laughs> will reoccur quite yes. a bit through this series. Yes, yes. <laughs> to great effect. About that. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on with our sixth pick, uh, Contagion. The Enterprise receives a distress signal from the USS Yamato, a sister ship, who is near the Romulan neutral zone. Upon their arrival to their whore, the Yamato explodes, followed by the appearance of the Romulans. Picard demands an explanation, but upon further investigation, it is discovered that an ancient civilization known as Iconia, of which the Yamato had gone to look for in the neutral zone, have ancient technology that he believes the Romulans are seeking to use against the Federation. They quickly discover that what happened to the Yamato before it exploded is now happening to the Enterprise, damaging the ship and Data. The crew race to answer not only to save their lives, but also to stop the Romulans. This is one of those episodes, and I don't think we've talked about this yet. Star Trek is the master of that opening sequence before they go into the title credits. Mm-hmm. Star Trek is the master of that. And again, they prove here on how good they're at it. I mean, the, the crew of the Enterprise, uh, you know, it goes from bad to worse here. You know, they arrive to the sister ship, you know, they talk to them, and then boom. And then all of a sudden, the Romulans show up. Wow, great, okay, great. We've gone from bad to worse in this situation. And then we move right into the credits. Star Trek just is great at that. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode is the first time Picard orders tea, Earl Grey hot, 
um, which uh, was not successful, of course, <laughs> uh, in this episode. But um, again, we're going to talk about season two where a lot of firsts are starting to happen that we're going to start seeing uh, throughout this series. Um, you know, this is just another episode uh, that does that for us. It is also the first time Riker gives his iconic line, fate protects fools, little children, and ships named Enterprise. This is a good episode. I, I enjoy There's a lot of original ideas here. And um, I like the idea of the Iconians and their uh, uh, their way of, of uh, transporting. Um, mm-hmm. It's a pity we, we never went back to that, too, and, and got to learn any more because it's kind of open-ended with that civilization at the end. And, and we get a great look at the Romulans. Uh, we hardly got a, anything during the uh, season finale last year. Right. Um, you know, their Romulan warbird, that's an, a beautiful model. An incredible, incredible uh, design. Um, I, I, I like the episode. I, I think there's a lot of original ideas. Yeah, but you can tell the writers. I mean, even though the strike was going on and there was a you know a bunch of stuff going on behind the scenes and stuff like that, but you can tell that they're really starting to explore uh, Star Trek in ways that first season kind of did in a way, but not as much as they are doing in season two. And as obviously we're going to see later on in each season as we grow, yeah. um, they just get bigger and bigger and better and better. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I, I think this episode was really, really well done. Um, and, you know, we, we get to see more of our characters explored. I mean, Picard, uh, we learned mm-hmm. he loves archaeology, right? This is the first time we yep. see that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this yep. season, we, we get farther away from trying to copy the, the style of the original series yes. and more about developing the next generation's own style. We see that a lot through season two. And at this point, we've pretty much uh, shucked all of the original series ideas away and starting our own thing now. All right. Well, let's uh, go on to our seventh pick. And this is probably going to be the most controversial. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. OK, the Royale uh, written by Tracy Torme and directed by Cliff Boyle. Riker, Data, and Worf beam down to a planet to investigate a mysterious structure. Upon entering, they find themselves within what looks to be a 20th century casino and hotel. Wrapped up in the almost cliche-like events, cut off from contact with the Enterprise, and no way to get back out. Um, as I said, I, I like this episode. I, yeah. It's fun. I think it's a fun episode. It, it's If you don't think too much into it... Um, uh, th- this is one of the episodes that, um, as I mentioned before, that was written by Tracy Torme that was heavily rewritten mm-hmm. uh, against his wishes. And this is what forced him to make the decision to to quit the show, um, which is a pity because he's a great writer. He went on to uh, create a uh, another series that I absolutely loved later on called Sliders with uh, Jerry O'Connell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, he, he's, he's a great writer. Uh, his original idea for the, the script was that the astronaut was stuck in this uh, surreal nightmare um, fantasy world. And then when the crew comes and beams down, they get stuck in his own in his own mind, in his own nightmares. Um, it, it, because he left, he ended up using a, a pseudonym uh, to, uh, to credit himself because he didn't want his name on this. He felt it was rewritten so much that he didn't uh, want to be involved in it. And, and as it comes the rest of the series mm-hmm. um, when the original airing I remember I love this when it first aired but uh, something I, I just recently learned uh, you know the all the episodes of The Next Generation were recently uh, uh, remastered 
uh, into high definition about 10 years ago. And in the original airing, the patch on the astronaut's uniform uh, was the, the 1972's Apollo 17 patch. And it had the Apollo name removed, and the, but the name of the original astronauts were still there. But when they went and remastered this and reassembled it, uh, back in 2012, they took CGI and they changed those patches and put the correct spaceship and the correct names. And it has a little um, uh, catchphrase that says, first beyond the solar system. I never noticed that until mm. I was doing research on this this episode. Um, it's great that they were able to go back and uh, remaster. And if you do watch them on streaming now, you are seeing the remastered versions of the episodes. Right. Yeah, this is a very simple script. I don't want to call it simple, but I mean, the sets were very simple, let's be honest. Oh, they were. Uh, clearly, clearly a cheap episode uh, tried yeah. to save some money, uh, you know, to contain it in like just, you know, one area. But it, it worked, you know. It I, I agree, Wayne, there's probably a lot of people who are like, you're picking the Royale, what? <laughs> but no, it, it, it is. It, it, I had a, f- a lot of fun with this, you know, you, you're if you really think about it, you're, you're supposedly stuck in this nightmare with this astronaut. I, I, I find that concept really cool. Yeah. And you know that's that's Star Trek for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and this the, one. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say and the other thing that I really wanted to point out is Sam Anderson as the assistant manager of the hotel. Mm-hmm. I will always remember him as Mr. Gorpley from Perfect Strangers. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <Yeah>. Good pull. <laughs> yeah. No, and you know while we're on the subject, I'll bring up uh, Noble Willingham as uh, Texas. Um, yes. Another one of the you know. Dave, you and I are going to talk about him and Norma Ray, and yep. I'm always going to picture him as, you know, his role in City Slickers, his role in Good Morning Vietnam. Um, it, there's a lot of personality there, and the way that they use these characters, it's 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 almost like it feels like a, a holodeck episode kind of turned on itself. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yep. you're trapped in it, and you can't do it unless you play it out. But it's a horrible novel. It's, you know, <laughs> it was a dark and stormy night. Like, as bad as you can get but it's it's played so well and as soon as mm-hmm. as soon as they figure out what's going on they lean into it so mm-hmm. much and, and i love the performances there yeah they look like they're having a lot of fun uh <laughs> just uh you know stepping out from the normal techno babble and and serious storylines just having fun in this uh pretty cheesy uh casino sets and <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it or hate it. You, you got to admit it. it. It's fun. Come on, you can yeah. tell. You can tell Brent Spiner as Data was having fun of gambling oh, yeah. with with the dice yeah. and the cards and stuff like that. Come on. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> the the Data snap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a fun episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we continue on with our next episode, we're going to take another break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. We are going to continue with our eighth pick, Scott. Yeah, I've, uh, there's an embarrassment of riches here because this is one of the best of season two. Um, yes. If not one of the best yeah. in the series, which yep. I actually didn't discover until I had season seen season three. Mm-hmm. But this one is called Q Who. So Q is back to pester the crew with a new proposition. Let me join your crew because you can't face this universe without me. When they reject his offer, he seeks to prove his argument in a dangerous way flinging them 7,000 light years away, which is roughly two years from home at best speed, to face the Borg for the first time. Will they accept his help or fight one of the most dangerous species in the Trek universe? Now there's a subtle spoiler there in mentioning that the Borg appears, it's okay. but it's very important to mention that because yeah. as you're thinking about you know which episodes to watch, 
this introduction is exceptionally important and it's one of those q episodes that doesn't necessarily it's not him being kind of a you know a jokester or anything else like that he's absolutely serious mm-hmm. i need mm-hmm. to join you you're advancing way faster than you should yeah this episode is so vital and so important of what is yeah. to come in star trek the next generation and this is i'm not going to say too much of what's coming up later for the, for this villain uh, or the villains if you want to say um but this sets up some storyline that's coming along but this is the main villain that the next generation crew is going to be fighting for a very long time yeah and in my opinion is the best and creepiest villain that anybody has had in Star Trek. Yeah. And I'm not putting anything down through the original Star Trek or Deep Space Nine Borg or anything like that, but come on. Let's be honest here. The Borg is frightening. They are hard to fight. And in this episode of Q-Who, watching it again, I had goosebumps. I don't know if it's because I knew what was coming with with this with this villain, but they just the 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 you could feel it in the air. Am I right? Do you guys You're get right. that? Like when yeah. when they're yeah. when they're discovering the Borg for the first time, you can just feel it in the air. Of this crew, is in a position they should not be in right now. Right. You know, yeah. they should have not met the Borg. And Guinan even says that. You know, you guys, you know, you shouldn't have you shouldn't have been here. You shouldn't have met them. And that leads up to some of the great scenes between Guinan and Q, that we see in this episode that are just phenomenal. Uh, acting between John DeLancey and Whoopi Goldberg. Um, so Wayne, you mentioned earlier on how good Whoopi was in Guinan, but she does it again here. Yeah. She, she proves. Uh, Scott, I think it was you who said you love Guinan. This is her, your favorite uh, character yes. in Star Trek. You can see it here, how, on her bringing her uh, talent to this role as Guinan. And she senses it. You see that in the scene towards the beginning. She senses something's wrong, something's going on. And just so much build up in this episode. I was jealous when I saw you got this. I'm like, God dang it, Scott. I know, I wanted, I know. I wanted you. <laughs> That's what I mean. But it gives oh. us all a chance to talk about well, it. And I don't want to hog the microphone. So guys, speak, speak. speak you speak, you said it right there. This is a build up. And that is what this entire episode is. Q is giving the, the Enterprise a taste of what's to come. And that is exactly what the producers are giving us as viewers. They, we're giving, they're giving us a taste of what's to come. We never knew at the time. But now, in hindsight, looking back, uh, this it, it just you can just feel it in the atmosphere. You, you knowing that you know here we are seeing the beginning of the rest of the next generation uh, history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a great a great standoff between uh, Q and Guinan. They kind of trade you know Jean Grey Magneto hand gestures, right? Yes. Yeah. She keeps Q at bay. She presents Q with somebody who's a foil, if not a threat. And which is fascinating, mm-hmm. and um, the 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 tension and the buildup from our core mission is to explore the universe, seek out new life, new civilizations. Well, here's one right in front of us, mm-hmm. but an expert who has seen this species wipe out or scatter her species across the universe, yeah, is saying, "If I were you, I'd start going back now." Yeah. Don't be curious. Don't study. But they they can't help it. So it's kind of the um, the danger of doing so, uh, mm-hmm. proving Q's point to a certain degree. Uh, but absolutely, the the quiet and the slow buildup of this juggernaut of a species. Yep. They don't really say much. They disregard them, and they're relentless. Like as soon as they start chasing the Enterprise, 
there's there's no stopping there's no slowing down um so one of the things that was a little interesting is that um i know there was a we've already talked about season one so i guess i can i can do spoilers there was a certain episode from uh, i think it was conspiracy from season one that was supposed to set up a kind of a a, that slug parasite uh race was somehow related to the borg like they were sending a signal out to take the borg get the board back into the quadrant um there's a almost a throwaway line from data where he says uh we're seeing this planet where roads are still intact but the entire cities have been kind of scooped off of the face of the planet similar oh, to what yeah. we saw in, near the neutral zone now yeah, that was in the, the season finale neutral zone yes so does that mean that the board were in the neutral zone or is there yes. some way that that's been kind of retconned out no, that's that's an actual direct connection to this episode. Uh, the original, uh, it still was part of the original plans at the time. They hadn't written Q Who yet, but it fits. It fits right in. They they went with it, and and because we see in this episode, and then we also see later in uh, next season in Best of Both Worlds the connection between them. Was okay. wasn't the original plan uh, the Ferengi were supposed to be the main villain for the Star Trek Next Generation crew? But they became off. They became too comical. Yeah, the and they're like, yeah. we we can't we can't do this. And that's where they leaned in and started creating the board. Yeah, yeah, and this was also supposed to be a two part episode. Um, the epi- their episode called Time or no, um, Time Squared, which I think aired a couple seasons before this. It was actually supposed to be the part first part, and then during the re- the rewriting stage, they decided to split the two episodes and and uh, uh, not connect them. Yeah, this uh, episode won two Emmy awards, uh, outstanding sound mixing and. Um, outstanding sound editing which it well deserved and what i find interesting director rob bowman uh voices the board Mm, i didn't know that yeah (laughs) so yeah cool no phenomenal episode uh listeners out there i I hope this is at the top of your list for one because you can tell the love the three of us have for this episode anybody can't skip it you cannot skip this one it is super important of what's coming up uh, in the next season, and then beyond that, believe mm-hmm. me, trust me. Even the motion pictures, everything, all the uh, way up to, to to last year, the most recent Star Trek. You you you, you got to see this one. Yep, absolutely, super important. All right, well, we're going to move on to the ninth pick, the emissary. The Enterprise is sent to certain coordinates with unknown orders from Starfleet. While en route, an admiral is in contact advising Picard and crew that they will be meeting an emissary who will instruct them on what is needed. Upon arriving, they beam aboard a probe to discover a half-human, half-Klingon, known as Kalar, of which Worf is not pleased to see. It is discovered that a Klingon battlecruiser whose crew was frozen in time from when they were at war with the Federation is coming back online. It is up to Worf and the crew of the Enterprise to come to a solution to stop this battlecruiser and possibly starting a new war. Um, this, you know, this episode really gets to explore, you know, Michael Dorn and his performance, uh, especially, you know, his history with Kalar. Um, you know, I, I love the scenes between those two, you know, their backstory and stuff like that. It is just I, Michael Dorn as Worf is just phenomenal. And you're getting to see him explore more. And she she's a fun character. Here we got Susan Plankton getting, playing uh, Kalar. It's it's interesting to see a half human, half uh, Klingon. Uh, especially one that has pretty much, uh, you know, denounced the Klingon ways. She she more embraces her human side, uh, mm-hmm. which is something we've we've never seen before. You know, 
uh, Worf being raised by humans has pretty much kind of embraced his Klingon side. So here we get the exact opposite, yet opposites attract. So, uh, you know, they, they make a great couple. I, I, I like her and I like the episode. Yeah. We, yeah. we get poker again, by the way. I want to yes. point that out. <laughs> yeah. And, and a great use of the holodeck. Yes. Uh, yes. For uh, exercise. And I think it's used in a, in a great way. I love the effects of the, uh, the, the opponents that are in uh, Worf's calisthenics program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and they eventually go to level two. Um, <laughs> I, I say as a happily married man, I've, I've had a crush on Kalar since this episode just yeah so so fantastic such a um a breakthrough performance uh aside from being gorgeous mm-hmm. um her her performance like you said Wayne is kind of a um a lens for the Klingon culture she's a Klingon ambassador so clearly she's respected and revered by Klingons as somebody that they listen to and you know Pay attention mm-hmm. when Kalar has something to say. We'll see yep. that come up in a, in a future season. It's almost like she has kind of that um, that Han Solo charisma. Oh yeah, you know, yes. she's aware of these happening. But she's it. like, I mean, come on. Like, there's this thing we got to do. Really, do we have to do that? Because they've been doing that for centuries, and I don't believe in it. But yeah. whatever, you know. Not making fun of it, not scoffing at it, but just saying, I'm not going to let my life be ruled by these traditions that you want to go through mm-hmm. which is a great you know uh parallel to Worf's journey with this right um things that are going to things that are happening to him things that are going to happen to him mm-hmm. and um uh how he kind of uh processes that in being a Klingon who is raised by humans um there, there's so much that's just absolutely fascinating about her character and I, I love what it does for Worf's character to advance his growth, but also kind of giving us another way of looking at the Klingon culture, which we haven't seen much aside from what we talked about before, a matter of honor. Yeah. And not, not to give away too many spoilers, so i got to be careful on what I say here, but the, the problem solving they have towards the end that Worf comes up with, I thought was yes. really cool. <laughs> yes. Uh, you see some um, uh, some some ice in the veins when there's mm-hmm. some uh, some tense moments. So yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna move on to our tenth and final pick. Scott, what do we got? <laughs> this one's a little tough because there's one performance by one actor who does a great job, but it's so grating the personality of this character. It's hard <laughs> to say like, yeah, watch this one because you're gonna be like, ooh, ooh, don't like. It. Um, <laughs> This is called peak performance. So the best of our crew is put to the test in more ways than one. What begins as a war game that splits the crew in two and across two ships quickly becomes a bigger threat when the Ferengi think the game is real. As a side narrative, the orchestrator of this war game puts data skills to the test in one of the toughest games in the galaxy. There's a slight spoiler there. Uh, Granted, granted. But you can't get around it. Though. It's, it's okay. the tension of what this introduces. There's there's a great use. I'll go ahead and name you know, Roy Brocksmith. Uh, oh yes. plays the games master. He's fantastic. And oh, his performance. It's it's one of those characters where it's like, you do such a great job of being unlikable. It's like, you know, respect the actor, hate the character. When he first but, came on the bridge, he's like, look at this Weasley of a guy, oh, man. So much, so much. And there's yeah. already been a little bit of the, you know, um, I feel like 
one of the things that's hard with Dr. Pulaski is kind of the side-eyed judgment stance that she seems to have, mm-hmm. right? That there's not always the best chemistry, the best level of respect with, you know, data, data mm-hmm. kind of things. So when the games master comes on, there's a similar, like, you know, always kind of judging, always kind of looking down at the characters and, and it's just, it's bristling. Um, but there's, there's some great, I love the war game aspect of it uh, yeah. and how you see, you know, it's like a scrimmage, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're picking their teams and, and who gets who. Um, Riker certainly stacks the deck. Yeah. But and she and cheats on great effect. But that's 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 a little bit, a little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. There's some some Wesley cleverness in there that I'm like, is that is there a flag on that one? I don't yeah, know. I think, we'll just I think let it is. go. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then uh, it's it's another place where we see an exploration of Data's development, right? Mm-hmm. As a character, yep. again, yep. Yep. that that stoicism where he should have you know an emotional response. Nope, totally doesn't. And to great effect. Yeah, this is another episode. This is like the Royale. It's, you love it, you hate it, um, but it, it's a fun episode. It, it's got some great elements. I like it. I liked it ever since yeah. its first airing. Um, I, I think uh, Data, yeah, Prince Spiner is fantastic. Jonathan Fakes are all great, fantastic. Plus, you got we could see the, the Ferengi again, and they're, they've been slightly redesigned, not quite to where we'll we'll see them in the future, but they're they're, they're working on it. It's, mm-hmm. it's neat to see them again. Yeah. What another thing I love about this episode, and we always talk, we've been talking a lot this episode about growth for these characters. You really see the respect that you get between Picard and Riker in this yeah. episode. Yes. You know, when, um, you know, Cerna is, you know, putting down Riker, Picard's like, stop. Basically, puts him in his place right then and there mm-hmm. about, you know, you listen here about Riker. You know, he, you know, the respect he showed for him right then and there was just shows how much their characters have already developed but where they're going and the respect they are going to have for one another but what i also like is the fact that how much fun jonathan frakes was having or i should say Riker was having uh on that that broken down ship that they had to repair to get it get it going including jordy i mean you could just see the smiles on their face of like we get to do this we may get our our butts kicked (laughs) but who cares you know loved it yeah yeah yep fantastic episode but all right so gentlemen we have talked about our top 10 episodes of season two so let's go back and do a little bit what we did last season where we talked about our best moment for Riker. this time we're going to talk about our best moment or best episode whatever you want to do for data this season wayne what do you have well it's going right back to what we just talked about in uh, peak performance Uh, i love it when when data's beaten by uh, kurami in the uh, game of Strategema, uh, the scene where Picard basically has to tell him, you know, suck it up and get back to work. <laughs> I, I, I love that. You know, Data is so devastated. So, so uh, well, that's not really good because that's emotional. But he, he's confused that how mm-hmm. can he lose? He's a computer. He, he can't lose. And 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 it it almost forces him to shut down. Picard's like, you know, you can't just let things like this let defeats get to you. You have to you have to get back up. Yep. And you have to to get right back into it and try again, and and it's a great lesson that learned from Data, and a great great moment between him and Picard, and that's my choice. Good choice, Scott. What about you? The game is afoot. <laughs> every nice. every part of his performance is Sherlock Holmes. Um, <laughs> from the Data perspective, from Ben Spiner's perspective, you know the the 
the breadth that we get from both uh, is is one of my favorite things. Um, I love him getting into character, the use of different voice uh, mm. inflections and things like that. Uh, that stands out to me. For me, it's the Gizoid Man. Brent Spiner has proved us already in how good he does playing his brother Lore. And just that on and off switch that we talked about last episode where he's able to just turn on, you know, being Data and he completely turning that switch and becoming Lore. Here you see him do the same thing, but completely somebody else. We get to see the character of Dr. Grace played, again, by William Morgan Shepard, but you get to see Data become that actor. The, the, the performance that he gave us, Data just, Brent Spiner just goes on with it, you know? Yeah. And, and, and you feel like you're watching Dr. Graves, you're not watching Data. And every, every scene, I don't have a particular scene because every one of them in that episode was so good from him that I can't pick just one. So I'm saying that whole episode, that is my Data uh, episode for this season, for sure. Oh, definitely good choice. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we are going to talk about next our least favorite episode. Now, listeners out there, you may like the uh, these episodes that we choose, but we think otherwise. <laughs> so, Scott, what about you? What is your least favorite episode of season two? I know we tossed around a few things. There's going to be a, a bit of debate behind the scenes. <laughs> um, the the one that sticks out to me, and I think there's another that's like, throw it away. You you don't watch this episode. Don't waste your time. But my vote is for Up the Long Ladder. Okay. Um, so I feel like, you know, we talked last time about, you know, an episode that misrepresents cultures in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. um, at least in my opinion, I know that Cole Meany, um, the actor who plays Transporter Chief Miles O'Brien, one of my favorite characters in this and other series, uh, wasn't happy with the depiction of uh, Irish culture. Uh, didn't have a chance to change the script. Uh, he would later be able to do so in a... Um, uh, Deep Space Nine episode, uh, if wishes were horses, uh, where he was able to kind of steer away from some of those cliches. But mm -hmm. it was it was, I found it found it uncomfortable to watch um, aspects of that episode, and it just seemed like it felt like a throwaway to me. But yeah, you're you're right. I mean, it's not my choice for least favorite, but it's just it's one of those episodes you can skip. There's really no redeeming factor in this episode. It's, yes. it's a, yeah, it's not worth watching. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Scott. Good, good choice. Um, Wayne, Wayne, I think you and I might agree on this one, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Wayne, what's yours? It's unfortunately it's the season finale. Um, yep. You know, you expect the season to end on, on a strong point. This isn't did not. Uh, Shades of Grey. <laughs> yep. Uh, they just it, they ran into a lot of problems this season. They they overspent on on two of the big episodes, Elementary Dear Data and Q Who, and they had no money left for a finale. So we got we got this and it's <laughs> it's the clip show i mean it's either you yeah. just just say you know tell any any star trek fan oh the clip show they know exactly which one you're talking about uh, yeah it works for a lot of shows you know cheers did it uh, uh friends did it golden girls boy they were really well but those are sitcoms this right. is next generation we don't need a clip show and especially not this early in the series i mean what's there to clip there's very little it, you're basically just uh, showing scenes that you you watched like less than a year ago and for a finale come on now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it doesn't work no i completely agree with you uh wayne i did not like this episode at all and when it ended i'm like that wait wait what that's it that's all we get for season two that yeah i mean we for like 
for a show that was trying to uh, still put you know find its place with the fans, this was not yep. a good way to end the season. No, yeah. I mean what what is it? Riker gets uh, struck by what a thorn? Yeah. And, yeah, and and he gets infected by it, and he has to go into the medical bay, and Doctor Pulaski has to try and save him. But like the only guest star in this was what um, um, Cole Meany, wasn't it? I was think it so. Chief O'Brien, yeah. the only yeah. one that was in this, except for the clip stuff, obviously. Yeah. But it's like, no, this one didn't work at all. The only good thing, and this is a spoiler, but I'm going to let it happen. The only good thing from this episode is this Pulaski's last. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'll i be completely honest. I didn't even watch this one. Whereas the other episodes, I just kind of brushed up. As soon as I saw mm-hmm. it was a clip episode, like you mentioned, sitcoms that do it like Friends. It's yep. such a cheat. And you feel like, really? So I have to sit here for 30 minutes and there's only like five minutes of original material? Like, yeah. what? Yeah. It just, it, it doesn't make sense. It also feels like for as much as this series is advancing, to take so many steps back, mm-hmm. just by nature of looking back at clips, it seems like a very, very odd choice. It was a big mistake. They realized it was a big, big mistake. They had no other choice but to do this, and it's a mistake that they never made again in the show. Thank God. Yeah. Don't yeah. worry though. The next finale we get is the best finale of all Star Trek, in yeah. my opinion, and yeah. we will talk about that in the third episode for sure. Yep. Yep. All right, listeners, want to thank everybody for tuning in with us for our top ten picks. Uh, we always appreciate you listening. In. Wayne, Scott, thank you so much for joining me on the bridge, as always. Thank you. It's always great to be here. Absolutely. Hailing frequencies are always open for you to share your thoughts and questions on social. Yeah, and let us know what you think and share your favorites that we didn't mention. You might get a mention in a future show. Email us at afilmbypodcast at gmail.com. Find us online at afilmbypodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're looking for more exclusive content and swag, Send some Latinum our way, uh, Patreon. See you next time for another episode of Phasers Set to Stun.